Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. So today, you know, I'm actually just going to, I'm just going to let loose a little bit. I um, actually am quite irritated and quite pissed off. And so I want to share a little something that I, I saw online the other day and discuss it because I think it's a, an important matter in women's health. And I would say in anybody's health because it's, it's prevalent in the medical community, but particularly in women's health. And it was actually something that flabbergasted me. So let me go ahead and tell you what chapped my buns, you know, just really pissed me off. So I was watched, I was online one day and I came across a video of a company that actually promotes women's hormone management online. So they, they sell women's, um, menopause and perimenopause support, like, birth, not birth control, but I actually, I think they do do birth control, but you know, they're, they're selling hormones basically. So they're a large organization, national organization, and it was a video of their, one of their, I'm assuming one of their medical directors. So it's a, it's a gentleman who is a physician. Um, I would say he's probably in his sixties and he is starting to talk about, you know, how women don't need to worry about testing for their hormones to figure out how to treat the symptoms of perimenopause and menopause because women's hormones change all the time. You know, they're constantly all over the place. So how could you possibly test them because they're changing constantly? And if we look at the symptoms, we can tell just based on your symptoms exactly what you need. And, you know, so at first, I'm just going to be real honest. So the guys that listen to this, this is not offensive. But the reality is, yes, he's been trained as a physician. I'm trained as a clinical nutritionist. I'm not a physician. And yes, he probably knows a lot about what he's read and what he's seen over the years. And I'm hoping at least he was an OB-gynecologist. So he has at least some idea of at least hearing stories about women go through and how they feel and what their symptoms are. I can tell you for sure he's never had a period, never given birth, hasn't had cramps mood swings based on their hormones, PMS, heavy bleeding, heaven forbid any of the other things a lot of women go through, fibroids, endometriosis, you know, losing a child, stillborn, all this stuff that women go through that are specific to the fact that we are part of the reproductive process. We are the one that carries the child. And so, you know, I started listening to it. And of course, it made me angry because, you know, I've been in practice for 18 years and in our clinic, we have physicians, so we're treating women all the time. And obviously, I have a, you know, huge, huge deep dive in women's health and hormones. And so I, we constantly see the women whose symptoms are all over the place. And they've been told, you know, either A, birth control pills will take care of your menopause. We're just going to cover it up with a bunch of synthetic hormones. And you don't need to worry about those pesky hormones. You're just too troublesome. And they have problems. Or they've been told they can't use hormones because it'll kill them or some other, you know, blanket statement that has no individuality. And so they they are terrified of doing hormones and they're suffering horribly 
Or they've had somebody just try and then try again and then try again and try again with a whole bunch of different things and they don't feel well just to be told that you can't test the hormones. So first I'm going to rant a little bit about what's really going on here and then I'm going to talk about what you really should test for and why. This is a form of gaslighting. So gaslighting is the manipulation, denial, or doubting of somebody's experiences or perceptions. And this happens a lot, particularly to women, people of color, people in the LBGT community. And I would say even in particularly in medicine, it happens to men too, but it is specifically a lot more in marginalized groups and especially women, people of color and LGBTQ community. So what it does is this is a dismissing or a minimizing of your symptoms, your pains, not taking your concerns seriously or attributing the experiences to psychological factors. Because again, you got to remember the most common drug that is now prescribed for hormone changes in menopause is an antidepressant. It is not a psychological problem. It is a hormonal problem. And this type of behavior leads to the person that's being gaslighted, feeling isolated, absolute self-doubt, mistrust, and especially in the medical system, because the medical system, let's face it, it is antiquated, it is hierarchical, and it is patriarchal. And that patriarchy can cross over to any time you ask the doctor for a test they don't want to run, or you ask questions about the diagnosis they gave you, and often a lot of times feel like they get dismissed, or the doctor might be outright hostile about somebody questioning the mode of treatment, or could there be something else you could do, or what are the other options? And it, like I said, it happens It happens to a lot of groups, but it's going to happen to those that are marginalized. And it's a sad reality because it, it, should, it shouldn't be this way. I mean, we just, we went through the Me Too movement and you think it'd be getting better, but there's been studies that have come out even recently in the last year or two that shows that this is even more important. You know, and especially women are more likely than men to be misdiagnosed with conditions like heart disease, autoimmune disorders, the average uh, woman, again, 10 to 1 female to male diagnosis and female disorder on average takes almost, you know, somewhere between, depending on the study you look at, 7 to 10 years to get a complete diagnosis because they often are waiting because we are considered hysterical, noncompliant. And this is a form of abuse. Okay, And this has gone back all the way back to the 1800s and the birth of kind of what we would call the current conventional medical system. You know, the first kind of gaslighting of women was the use of hysterectomy to take care of hysterical women because they thought the wandering womb was causing this disease state. And then the second treatment they did after that was, again, a mental treatment. They did lobotomies. Why was I so mad about this, uh, this particular video? Again, I, I was like, I feel like I'm being mansplained by a guy that has, again, the credentials. I'm not saying he doesn't have the credentials. And truly, from a marketing standpoint, on a company that's really speaking directly to women, I, I wouldn't probably not march a middle-aged man up in front of women to talk about it when they probably have somebody else on their team that could at least understand from an empathy standpoint because they've been through it. That's me complaining, I know, and I'm probably going to get, you know, some feedback on that, but that's just the reality of it. I know a lot of things about erectile dysfunction and vascular disorders, and but I'm not going to get up and be the poster child for it because I've never gone through it. So it's kind of the same thing. So that part ruffled my feathers a lot. So obviously, medical gaslighting happens all the time. So why is it so important, especially when we look at hormones? So part of this, this person's argument was that 
Hormones are all over the place and they change daily and we couldn't possibly figure out how they are, how they're supposed to be because they're just constantly changing. Well, you know, that's the reason why women were laughed out of most medical studies up until the 90s because of our pesky hormones and our, you know, we're just different and difficult. So here's the other thing is, yes, our hormones do change. But, you know, you can look online and I wish I had video at the same time. I am videotaping this, but I, I would love to be able to show a lot of pictures. You know, podcasts don't allow for that. And I know most people are listening to me through auditory activities. But, you know, if you go just look online and look up menstrual cycle graph, Okay, menstrual cycle graph. Our menstrual cycle, when we are cycling in most women, not all, we have a lot of conditions that can change this, does vary, but in a very methodical, predictable pattern, right? There's a reason why birth control pills are, are established with 28 days, you know, especially the early ones that were like 28 days and then your sugar pills. There's a reason why. And it's because our hormones shift in a predictable pattern in general, particularly when we are cycling and especially when we're younger and we're fertile. So yes, our hormones are all over the place, but you know what? They also are predictable. And that's why a lot of our symptoms are, I don't know, predictably obvious that are different at different times of our cycle. So for most women, a lot of times they feel great once their cycle's over, you know, because your hormones actually are at their lowest and they're all sort of balanced out at their lowest. But once you ovulate, you get a spike of estrogen and you get a spike of follicular stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. And then both estrogen and progesterone start to climb. And that's often where most women experience at least a lot of the symptoms we associate with our cycles, PMS, headaches, migraines, cramping, fatigue, joint pain, all those things tend to happen in that second half of the phase. So what that means is, is that the first spike is usually somewhere around day 14. Yes, some people may uh, actually ovulate early, some people may ovulate later, but you know, if you've done any of those period tracking apps, you can see it's a predictable pattern. It's pretty easy to start predicting a pattern when you're cycling. So the idea that you're just going to listen to a couple symptoms and say, this is what's happening. So I'm just going to put you on this particular hormone or this combination of hormones may be missing a lot of things. So for instance, PMDD, which is a severe form of depression and um, hormonal changes is thought to be because of a reaction to progesterone, right? So this woman's going to experience extraordinary depression and mood changes in her cycle, but it happens at a different time. And it's believed to possibly be some reaction in the brain to progesterone, but they're going to show up and they're going to say, I'm terribly depressed. I feel horrible. I can't get out of bed. I'm thinking terrible thoughts. And in an extreme case, we, we find suicidal ideation and a bunch of other things. Okay, so what are the symptoms of low progesterone in a woman that doesn't have PMDD? Depression, fatigue, moodiness, weeping at TV shows, those kind of things are also associated with low progesterone. So if I'm going off of symptoms, and let's say I'm a prescriber, I'm not, full, full stop, I'm not a prescriber, I'm not pretending I'm a doctor here, but or at least a doctor of medicine, right? So if I go off of just those symptoms alone, you know, because someone's going to say, I feel, I feel really depressed. I think I have PMS, right? They're going to say, oh, you got low progesterone. So what happens if I'm the woman that actually is struggling with something that looks more like a severe form, like PMDD, and they give me progesterone? That may set me over the edge. So let's take another symptom, okay? 
You could have things like vaginal dryness, hair loss. Well, vaginal dryness is definitely a sign of estrogen, you know, release and, and, and lower levels of estrogen, but it's also a sign of low testosterone, right? So is it, which one is it? Breast tenderness, weight gain, fluid retention. That could be both estrogen dominance, too much estrogen because you're in perimenopause, but progesterone is also known to cause a weight gain, particularly around the hips and the thighs and edema like swelling. You know, any woman during her second and third trimester that experienced a lot of swelling can attest to, you know, there's a lot of hormonal shifts and particularly progesterone drives a lot of that weight gain and also the swelling that you see in your last trimester of pregnancy. So those symptoms cross all kinds of boundaries. You can get breast tenderness from excess estrogen and you can also get breast tenderness from excess progesterone. You know, all these symptoms. So looking at symptoms and just kind of dismissing the fact that you might be unique, at least maybe predictably because your hormones are moving in a pattern, but you have may have a unique pattern, is dismissing the fact that a lot of these symptoms can cross over multiple hormonal boundaries. And so I believe, and this again is my opinion, and like I said, I was burned up today, so I had to talk about it. I believe that we should test. We should test and see where somebody's hormones are at because you could have all kinds of symptoms that can cross these hormonal boundaries. And instead of guessing and putting people through sort of a medical prescriptive roller coaster ride, you could get much more targeted and much more specific about what somebody needs and you can actually correct for the things that are wrong. Even when you're in menopause. So predictably, obviously in menopause, you know, that's after we've sort of gone through that perimenopausal process. But again, menopause is really a process. It's not just a day. But predictably, our hormones are all going to be low. Progesterone is going to be low. Estradiol is going to be low. Testosterone is going to be low. And probably some of the other supportive hormones like DHEA is going to be low. But what about the woman who might have a little excess body fat and still has quite a bit of circulating estrone? Estrone is actually made in our tissues and particularly in our fat cells. And it acts as a reserve to try and keep some estrogen available, and especially when the ovaries are petered out. So that woman may have a little bit more circulating estrogen if she's carrying extra body weight compared to a woman who is leaner. And then it also ignores some medical variability that we have with women who might have higher levels of, let's say, testosterone throughout their lifetime and estrogen. So for example, women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome have longer cycles. So these are people that are less predictable. So it's a little harder because the problem is, is they're not, their pituitary is not giving the correct message often to give a, a enough of a spike or a change in estradiol. And um, luteinizing hormone stays a little too high and estradiol doesn't, it doesn't fluctuate enough. And so they may not ovulate. And often it's accompanied by hirsutism. So they've got higher levels of androgens like DHEA and testosterone and they have higher levels of estrogen relative to their progesterone. So in that woman, maybe progesterone might be an appropriate choice, but not all women that are anovulatory, that don't have a period, are specifically PCOS, right? And not all of them are androgen dominant. So it's too easy to just put people in buckets and say, you know, you match this, this simplified bucket so I can do my five minute visit or in this case, just fill out a questionnaire and we'll just send you some hormones. You know, just boom, here you go. It, it's, it's too simplified and it's ignoring our uniqueness. So 
obviously, we need to probably test before we put somebody on hormones to at least understand where we're starting. You know, again, how do you know what end goal you're getting other than maybe tracking symptoms if you don't have anything to measure off of? What gets measured gets fixed. What gets measured gets done. So that's the first part. So the first part is what's really happening so you can be more targeted about the hormones that you're doing so you're not just sort of doing the rotator roller coaster guessing game on medications or herbs or whatever. The next step is, as you know, if you've listened to my podcast and if you haven't, I've gone through a lot of this about hormone metabolism. You know, I've deep dove into that area, the genetics in it, all of that and what, you know, even what the gut's doing with your hormones. The other part of it is, is hormones get used in the body and then they get metabolized. So they get, they get broken down, biotransformed, and they need to get excreted. And that is highly dependent on your own genetic uniqueness, your environmental toxins, the things you've been exposed to, the health of your gut. And probably, you know, to some degree, I haven't seen any studies on this, but it probably depends on, you know, if, I don't know if you're like me and you did synthetic hormones for, you know, 25, 30 years of your life because you wanted to control for pregnancy, right? And, you know, at the time I was on them, I didn't really, you know, I kind of believed the medical system that was before I was educated. And, and, and truly, I, it is frustrating because we don't have really good, like, bioidentical birth control that at least is a, a little cleaner sourced. Obviously, you can do family, family planning and things like that. But I was a mistake baby back in 1969. I'm adopted. So, you know, even if you are planning, that doesn't always mean it works out in your favor if, if you don't want to get pregnant. So, so even if you've done synthetic hormones, like what is the long lasting effect of that on, on your body, right? We know that they have to pass through those detox pathways. And obviously things like the synthetic progestins are dangerous, you know, because they raise your risk for clots. You know, I'll give a great example. I have a client of mine who at 18 years old, again, based on her symptoms and she was having horrible periods and, you know, acne and cramps and all this other stuff. The doctor put her on a progestin only birth control pill based on her symptoms without, you know, really doing any lab work or digging in a little bit. Well, she had several genetic mutations that affect blood clotting. So she had blood clotting disorders and synthetic progestins are known, black box warning, to cause blood clots. So this young girl, less than six months later, had a stroke due to the birth control. So there is variability and, and we have the ability today to actually help personalize medicine through the use of genetics, through the use of testing, and we can test your how you metabolize it. So the other part of it is I think people that are going on hormones should probably get their hormone metabolism tested through urinary testing to see how you excrete it because that can help make sure that you know, you know, that you can kind of get your stuff to the trash. Is it perfect? No. Is it the end all be all? No, but it's one of the better things that we have today, you know, and 10 years from now, we'll have newer technology and a better way to tell, but it is definitely better than what we had back in 1989 or 90 when most of the doctors that are practicing today probably were in medical school, right? They're, they're my contemporaries, if not a little bit older. And the problem is, is many of them may not have stayed up to date on what's actually in the research because the other side of that is, is it takes on average 17 years for whatever is in the research to make it into clinical practice. And medical schools, and I quote, won't teach it until it's considered standard of care in the general medical community, which means the medical schools are the ones that are the furthest behind. So, you know, we have to work with what we have. So I think that we should have that individualization. 
And so, you know, kind of jumping off my soapbox now and sort of stepping back and, and what does this really mean? So obviously I'm hopping, I'm hopping mad about people that just, I believe are dismissing and gaslighting, particularly women's health issues, because I'm talking about women's health. But again, it happens all the time. You know, what can you do if you feel like you're being gaslit or you're being ignored or being dismissed, particularly in a medical care environment? So the first thing is, is in, in most, and I, I love all the doctors I know. I mean, I'm in the medical community. I know hundreds, if not thousands of doctors, and they're wonderful people. But the first thing you need to know is medicine is a customer service industry. And most, most medical professionals don't like hearing that, but it is. You're the customer and you have the right and the ability to say no and choose a different provider at any time. And if your doctor is acting like you can't, or if they're dismissing your concerns or not hearing you, or even declining to look a little deeper, right? That's their right. And so I got to tell you that. So the doctor has a right to decline doing testing. And it's because of how a doctor is licensed and the liability that they carry. So if a doctor orders a lab, they are literally responsible for you, right? So a lot of doctors won't order things that they don't understand how to interpret or they aren't considered kind of common or standard of care within their paradigm of what they treat. And so they don't want to order it because A, they don't know how to interpret it or B, they don't want to carry the liability. Okay. And, and you got to understand that, that, that we are lawsuit happy. And, and the other side of it is a lot of people expect doctors to be gods and, you know, things happen, bad things happen, healthcare problems happen and medical mistakes are, are a huge problem. But we put a legal and financial responsibility on the doctors that also makes them nervous because we are lawsuit happy, particularly in the United States. And so they have the right to say no. That is absolutely true. But you also have the right to to pick another provider. Now, many people are maybe trapped because of their insurance. So most insurance companies commercially today aren't covering out-of-network services because they've negotiated prices with the hospitals and all these other things. And they're trying to do bottom barrel commodity pricing. And so they're trying to force you into the paradigm that saves them the most money, despite the fact that every year your your premiums go up. You're also being forced by a big business to tell you where to go and how to go. So some people that may be a financial decision and you have to, but there's probably another provider within your network that you can go to. And of course, there's a lot of people that have chosen like everybody in my clinic, to step out of that model so they can have a one-to-one relationship with their patient and actually have the decision-making being made by those two individuals and any other specialists that they work with. So you could easily do that as well, but you have the right to say no and you have the right to change practitioners. And especially if somebody is dismissive or rude or disrespectful, nobody should have to do that. And this this is not a dictatorial experience. This is a partnership and it should be seen that way. You know, and I and I think a lot of times, and particularly those that might be on social medical assistance, they have no choice in many ways, and they sort of get stuck in the system. And we know that the care is not going to be the same. And so, when you are in a position when you have the power to make the choice, you can make the choice, and you should. So, to kind of wrap all that up, you know, gaslighting is a problem, and we need to fix it in medicine, but we need to fix it everywhere because it is a form of bullying. And unfortunately, I would say the last 10 years, we've seen just an explosion of that type of behavior because we no longer have civility even in our political and public discussion. So it's, it's a bigger problem. So we need to obviously work on that. And then the other side of it, the thing that really got me going was 
women's hormones do move in a predictable pattern, especially when you're cycling. Again, we have some people that are outliers and those are the individuals, you know, that might not have periods or they're very irregular that probably need testing because we need to see what their variability really is. And guess what? We have tests we can do over the course of 30 days that can tell us what your predictable pattern is. So you might be unique, but we can still pattern it out. And you can, you know, use apps, use apps like the cycle watching apps, you, that will start to guess and tell you what's going on because it's using intelligence. It's using artificial intelligence to figure that out. So we can test and you should be tested and it should be a partnership with your doctor and it should be a give and take in your concerns and desires for things that are more natural and bioidentical should also be heard as well. And like I said, I do believe that we should also be testing for metabolites of hormones and how those are also being metabolized and moved through the system so we can make sure that you're getting them to the trash. So thank you for letting me sort of twist off on something that made me angry. And if you love this episode, please pass it along. And and if you didn't, you can give me a comment and you can also, you know, obviously please leave me reviews because I do read them and it helps me, you know, it helps me change the show and, and invite new guests and talk about new things. And then of course, if you want to, you want to, chat with me online on Instagram and let me know whether you liked my discussion about mansplaining and gaslighting, please feel free. So thank you for listening to Menopause Mastery and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery podcast. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com. 